Well, this morning, as we continue in our series, get back to our series in the book of Exodus, which is easy to find in the Bible. It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. It's all about God's way out. And as you think about that, this morning, we have the opportunity to, to look at probably one of the most familiar topics or themes in the Bible. It's that area which we call the Ten Commandments. And if you're not sure exactly where it is or where it will be this morning, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 20. That's where it can be found. And it's interesting as you think about people, talk to people about the Ten Commandments, there are two type of extreme reactions. One people say, well, that's, that's something in the past. It has nothing to do for us in the present. And then other people, they respond, they say, the Ten Commandments, I base my entire life on trying to live out the Ten Commandments. And often when someone says that, I, depending on what kind of mood I'm in or attitude I have right at the moment, I might ask them, oh, that's great. Can, can you name the Ten Commandments? And all of a sudden, they take a step back and they really struggle, and very few can name all ten of the commandments. But I want to share with you, as you think about things in the Bible, that the reason we ought to look at the Bible uh, at familiar sections or unfamiliar sections, because as I've entitled the message this morning, because it's, it's real. It's about a real God dealing with real people in a real point of time that has impact and influence on our lives together uh, today. It's also true, as you think about what the Word of God claims for itself, it says it's not only uh, information from uh, people who write this down. It's because it's true. It, it comes from God. And then finally, not only is it real and true, but it's good. It's good for us to live it out. Uh, as we think about the main theme and the message of this book, it's about the gospel, which is really translated to be the good news. Uh, but as we look at it this morning, I, I want you to understand as we think about it that this is something that we need to really understand, that it really does have some impact for us today. In looking at a New Testament passage, in Romans 15, 4, it says this, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. So there's some things we need to know. And why do we need to know it? So that through perseverance and encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And we live in a day in which we all need a little bit more of that. We need a little bit more hope that no matter what we're going through now, we can, we can look to a preferred future, that there's something that we can look forward to, and there's someone we can look forward to, and God has a plan for our lives. And as we think about the Ten Commandments, and some can describe in a variety of different ways, some people call it God's law, uh, but we need to understand that as we think about understanding how that applies, that we need to understand that it really is good. In Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, it says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Uh, really, as I think about, you know, as I observe life, there aren't too many things in this life that is perfect. In fact, uh, I don't know if there's anything perfect in this world today. But the, the Word of God claims this for itself, that, that its truths are perfect, and it can do something for us. It can take that which is broken, things on the inside, and, and put it back together. It can restore our soul. Uh, and then it goes on and says, the testimony of the Lord is pure, making wise the simple. And I don't know if you've ever been confused uh, by others as being an intellect or a person a little bit wiser than the person next to you, but the Bible says that, that if you know the, the truths in this book, uh, people around you will be amazed, uh, uh, not necessarily about all your skills, but maybe because that you have a wisdom that they, they don't have. And it can make wise the simple. In Psalm 119, it says that, you, that this word can make you wiser than your teachers. And then it goes on in Psalm 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Uh, you're going to see life a lot better when you know this book. And you'll be uh, a person who, who not only just endures life, but you'll have 
rejoicing in your heart, that life will take on a fullness that, that other people do not have. Well, this morning, we, we look at a passage in which God is pretty plain about giving his game plan for people. But sometimes when we look at God's word, we, we, we read it on the surface, and there's so many things we can get out of from the surface, but sometimes there's some things we need to know about it before we start trying to apply it. And so this morning, I want to break the message in basically two ways. I want us to, to recognize what we need to learn about this familiar subject, the Ten Commandments. And, and then I want us to look at, well, how, how are we supposed to live it out? What are some things we need to learn about the Ten Commandments, the, the Mosaic Covenant, the Sinai Covenant, that agreement that God made with people? And, and how does that apply to us? And does it apply to us in, in ways that maybe uh, some people say it does and other people say it doesn't? Well, let's learn a few things, and if you have your outline this morning, it kind of help you follow along. But this is really crucial in understanding what is really real, true, and good for us as we look at the Ten Commandments particularly. First of all, we need to understand that the Ten Commandments were given in a larger agreement that God made with people. It's called a covenant, and there are multiple covenants that are recorded in the Bible. But this particular covenant is called the Mosaic Covenant or the Sinai Covenant, that's the location in which it was given. And we need to understand that, that what was this covenant or agreement or legal document that was given both verbally and in written form, uh, what was it given about and who was it given to? And we talked about that a couple weeks ago, and I won't review that, that sermon, but it, it has a fancy title to it, the Susanna Treaty, in which there was, a, there was a prelude and a prologue, and then there were stipulations and a blessing and a choice that people had to make. But in the beginning of that covenant that introduces the Ten Commandments, it speaks to who it was written to. In Exodus 19, verse 3, it says this, Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel. So this agreement, this covenant, these things that were about to be written out and spoken about, which included the commandments, the law of God, was written uh, in a particular way, in a particular document to a particular people. And we need to understand that. It was written to the house of Jacob and, and the people of Israel. So to put it very plainly, the Mosaic Covenant, the Ten Commandments, was given to Israel. And, and we need to understand that. Israel is a people, it's a, it's, a, it's a race, but it was also a nation in that time. Now it's a nation as well. And this was a, a document given not as a democratic form of government, but he was offering them a the, theocracy, that God was going to be the one in charge, and they were going to decide whether they were going to sign on the dotted line for that agreement. And we need to understand that, that God was speaking directly to them and how they were to live. You know, it's interesting about in our day and age, you know, there's all kinds of laws and commandments, and we're under all kinds of either um, statements or regulations or suggestions how we ought to live during these times in which we're under this virus epidemic, pandemic. And I was, I was looking at that, this one particular document, and they said that the CDC had decided that they were going to make a revised version of one of the commandments in the Ten Commandments. And the CDE said this, because, you know, social distancing has, has been really encouraged for all of us to observe. And it said this, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's wife. 
And really the idea is there, you should not get too close to that, that wife of a, of a neighbor, so you might not develop a relationship that's not really a healthy one. Another thing I read this past week was a group of people are saying, well, you know, did God really only desire that his people have these commandments? And, and I think we can see that he, he went to them, but someone thought possibly that God had offered these commandments, these laws to all the nations of the world. And as they wrote about this, they said, well, it's quite possible that he brought these commandments to every people group, and every time he invited them to sign on the dotted line, will you, will you receive these commandments? They said, no, no, and no. And so finally, he came to the people of Israel, and he asked them, he said, well, will you take these commandments? And, and the whole nation gathered around, and they, they began. They began to look at each other with questions in their, in their mind. They couldn't quite decide. And then, then the story goes on that all of a sudden one man stood up and he, he spoke unto God and maybe he was speaking unto Moses and he, he asked the question, well, uh, how much do they cost? And, and God through Moses said, well, they're free. And, and this man said, then, then we'll take 10, you know. Uh, you know, as we think about God's commandments and God's will for us, it, it is free, but it, it's not easy to live out what he's called us to live. And, and we need to understand, if we're really going to understand the Ten Commandments, and, and there are truths that we can glean about the character of God and, and, and God's holiness and, and God's plan for people to live a life that, in which they will, they will prosper, uh, but we need to understand the, these commandments were given to a particular people at a particular time for them to live out not only individually, but corporately as a nation. And we need to understand that Jesus was very plain when he arrived on the scene. And as he was giving out the good news about God's plan, he said, I want you to understand that I didn't come to abolish the law in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, but I came to fulfill it. And so the law took on a whole other dimension that was given at Mount Sinai by Moses to God's particular people, Israel, to form a nation that would corporately try to live out the wisdom of God in, in a national way. And it was particularly given to him. But when Jesus arrived on the scene, he fulfilled that law. Secondly, what we need to understand is we, if we're going to really put the Ten Commandments in a perspective where we, we learn how we ought to now live, and we need to understand, secondly, the attempts to live out these commandments will never lead to salvation. As we think about the, the commandments that God gave the people of Israel, they need to understand from the very beginning, this was not going to bring them into a right relationship with God. The, the only way that bring anybody comes into a right relationship with God is putting your trust in him. Before Moses' uh, covenant, there was a covenant with Abraham, and, and it was very plain. It says, Abraham believed God, trusted in God, and it was counted to his uh, life that he was now made righteous before him, not on what he did, but on trusting that God's goodness would cover all the sins, all the shortcomings he had in his life. And as we think about that, we need to understand the Bible is very, very clear that that. The commandments of God will never lead us, particularly the law in the Old Testament will never lead us to God. You know, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, we have these plain words from the apostle Paul, who was Jewish, Jewish, and he said, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. And, and usually the Jewish people thought they were superior to others. They didn't have the law of Moses. They didn't have all the things that God had done for them, and so they thought they were superior 
But he goes on and says this, nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, not made right, not saved by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So if somehow you are, you're thinking that if you could just be good enough, just do all the right things well enough, that you could, you could know God, that he grades on the curve, as long as you're better than somebody else, you need to understand the law or a, an external list of do's and don'ts will never make you able to approach a holy God. In Galatians 2.16, it says this very plainly, since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified, declared righteous, have a, have a relationship that satisfied God's wrath against sin so that we could be in a right relationship with him. James 2.10 says it this way, for whoever keeps the whole law, just, let's just take the, these commandments and let's just, let's just be clear. It wasn't just 10 that God gave them. He also gave them 603 more, 613 commandments. And, and he said, look, at, if you could obey all of these most of the time, would it be enough? Well, James put it this way, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. And we, we have often said this, as you think about those who are going to populate heaven, it's not going to be anybody who's proud because we, it is impossible for us to get there on our own efforts. And if we just break in one place in the law, if the law, we were under the law to merit our way to get into a relationship with God, we would fall way, way short. So as we think about what we need to learn about the Ten Commandments and the Mosaic Covenant, the, the law, number one, it, it was made to a particular people, the people of Israel. Second, we need to understand the attempts to live out these commandments will never lead to salvation, a relationship with the living God. Thirdly, the people of God today learn from the laws in the Old Testament, but are not under it. And so as we think about it, not only can we not earn salvation through obedience to it, it's something we need to learn from, but realize we're not under its bondage. You know, as you think about that, the Bible's pretty clear on that as well. Going back to Galatians, which really speaks about this very plainly. Uh, Paul writes, therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that, we may not be so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under, tu under a tutor for you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And if you didn't quite pick up what I was reading right there uh, as I was struggling to say the words cleanly, is, as you think about that, what he's saying here is that you need to understand what was the purpose of the law. Or at least the primary purpose of the law. The law uh, was, was a guide for them to live out God's plan nationally. It, it revealed God's righteous character. It, it had some universal truths that continue on. Uh, but what it primarily was for was to, to lead everybody to a place of desperation. That, that we are never good enough on our own to, to merit a relationship with a holy God. That only God's goodness and grace and mercy uh, can bring us into a relationship with him. And, and really, it's the tutor. It's the one who, who leads us to, to, to find our one and only substitute for our sin, which is Jesus. You know, um, Moses has gone through quite a few years of schooling, and I, I want you to understand that, that once you complete a grade, very few of us go back to repeat that grade. And I dare say that uh, those of us who graduated from first grade you know, after we got into high school, never, none of us went back to first grade to pick up a few lessons we had missed in that first grade class. 
Why? Because that first grade class had a purpose, and now it's over. And as we think about the law, the law had a purpose to lead us into a relationship with Jesus that we couldn't do it on our own. And the Bible says in, John, in Romans 6.14, it says, For sin shall not be master over you. And then he says this, For you are not under law, but under grace. Uh, grace is uh, God giving us what we don't deserve. Grace is that uh, supernatural help that allows us to live out our relationship with God because he lives within us. It's, it's not an external list of rules of do's and don'ts, but God has written his law in our hearts. And he not only gives us uh, the awareness of what is right and true, but he, he gives us the desire to live it out. And not only the desire to live it out, but by his grace, the power to live it out. And, and so we learn from it, but, but we're not under it. Now, I, I don't know if you've, if you've had this experience at all, but looking at some of the commandments in the, in the Old Testament, and, and again, you need to understand, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. There were ones written after that, and God was very specific. Uh, for instance, in Leviticus 19.19, 19 says this to the people, and if you feel you still need to be obedient to the Old Testament law, how are you doing on this? You are not to wear a garment of two kinds of material mixed together. Or Deuteronomy 22.11 says this, no wool and linen should be mixed together in anything you wear, which basically says if, if, if you've got something that was made out of wool and doesn't have that little signature, 100% wool, under the Old Testament law, you'd be sinning. If you're willing something that has like kind of a polyester feel to it, you'd be sinning because God's word said, look it, I don't want any mixture of those things. Now, now we're not going to take the time to really talk about why he did that. Some of it was a, a spiritual marker because the people who were following after other gods did all those kinds of things. And he said, no, I want you as a people to realize I'm calling you into a pure relationship with me. I don't want you to mix your faith with anybody else's faith. Also, he was speaking of a, of a reality is that really, as you think about how garments are put together, it either comes from a plant product or an animal product. And, and really, the, 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 the more you don't mix things together, the more those things will have value and, and they will last longer. And it's not wrong to have a polyester shirt or, or have some uh, garments that aren't 100% wool, but to realize, look at, God is saying, look at, it's impossible for you to follow all those things in the Old Testament. And if you want to have a ham sandwich, if you want to have bacon, that's all right as well, because when God, uh, through the example of Peter, he said, all foods are now clean. Now, the reality is, is you think about the diet of the Old Testament, is, is God did those things to preserve their health. But as we look at it today, he's saying, look, it's, it's not the, it's, for us, let's just be honest, most of our problem is not what we eat, but how much of it we eat. And if you have a certain allergies, you have certain things that you react to, and of course, remove that from your diet, but God has set us free. And again, as even as we think about the commandments, as I think of the reason is God brought them into a relationship with him, it was to set them free because he had set them free. So what do we need to learn about that which is real and that which is true and that which is good about God's law is that, that God's law will restore our soul. It will, it will make us wise. It will rejoice our heart because it's, it's real and it's true and it's good. But we need to understand as we look back in the Old Testament that, that the law was given to a particular people. They were under its obligation. We need to understand it was never to... Uh, be that which would be required to live out completely to lead us to salvation because we can't do that. It's to lead us to put our faith in God. 
We understand that we, we learn from it, but we're not under it. And then finally, I would put it this way. The obedience of God's commandments in the New Testament show our faith and love for Christ, displaying the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me just put it this way. We're not, we're not saying that God doesn't have specific things for us to live out and to be and to do. And as we think about the Ten Commandments, and as we think about how do we respond to them, is God repeated them in the, Old, in the New Testament, at least nine out of the ten. And the things that God has brought over in the New Testament declares clearly God's righteous standard for us to live out and what is really good for us to live out. And as we think about that, he's called us to live out his commandments, and he describes it in a different way in the New Testament. And we won't time to look at that passage, but he describes it this way. The law in the New Testament is the law of the Spirit. It's the law of Christ. It's the law of liberty. And he wants us to realize he has set us free to be what he wants us to be. You can summarize all the commandments in the New Testament is to, in one word. It's love. And to put it more plainly, it's love on a, on, a, on a vertical level and a horizontal level. We're called to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we are to love our neighbors ourselves. We, we are to care for another, and we want what's best in our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And as we think about it, this can only be done by the Spirit of God working in us. First of all, it demonstrates that we love Him and put our faith in Him. In John 14, 1, he says this, do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then he goes on and says, I want you to understand this, that he who has my commandments, and that's the, the law of liberty, the law of Christ, the law of the Spirit, he, he knows what, what I want for them to live out for their good and for my glory. He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. You know, how do you know if someone really loves you? or you, How do you really know if you love somebody else? But when the best interest of your heart is to do that which pleases them and do, does that which is good for them. And, and so we demonstrate that we, we understand the purpose of the law beyond leading us to Christ, that it's also a way to, to please the living God is, is that we trust him because he is good. And, and we love his law because it's that which changes on the inside and allows us to go down God's path in very specific and clear ways. But also it's because it's the work of the Spirit in our lives. Let me just read Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit, and that's another way to talk about God's commandments in the New Testament. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. And let me just maybe take a sidebar here for a moment. You know, some have looked at the scriptures, and, and some of that was debate in centuries gone past, as well as even now in our current day. Did, did God somehow sanction slavery? You need to understand that God is the God who sets people free. The, the, the gods of the nations, the gods of Egypt, were all to set other people in bondage. And when God arrived on the scene for, for Israel, he set them free from the bondage of Egypt. And these commandments he was giving them was not to put them under a slavery to him, but to put them into freedom to live out their good God's plan for their life. And as we think of this, it goes on. For what the law could not do, weak as it was for the flesh, God did. 
Sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Uh, That's what the Bible talks about, that when we come into relationship with Christ, what God does is he gives us, God the Father gives us the righteousness that's found in Christ. And he fulfills all that the law would have required because Jesus fulfilled the law. He obeyed every letter of the law. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So what's the point? I spent an extended period of time going through this. Is What is it we need to learn from that section in the Old Testament, which speaks about God's Mosaic covenant with his people, the Sinai agreement, uh, the law that was given out. that the, the law was given to a particular people, the people of Israel. Secondly, it was not to lead them to salvation, but to lead them to realize they needed to be saved by putting their trust in the one and only true living God, which is still the same kind of picture we have in the New Testament. Thirdly, we need to realize as God's people now, or people who want to learn about God, is that we look back in the Old Testament to, to find some instruction in the meaning and we learn from it, but we're not under it. We, those detailed things that he had for their, them nationally is not for us. And then fourthly, as we think about going to this book and find out God's plan for life, and he gives us more detail than simply to love God and love people because we would, we would give all kinds of rationality for how we now live. And so he gives specifics in the New Testament so that we really love God rightly and we love people rightly. And we do it because we trust him that he is good and that what he says is true. And this is what real life should be all about. And shows that we have faith in him and we love him. And it's also a byproduct of the spirit because the Christian life is not, is not just difficult. It's impossible. And the only way to live it out is the spirit of God living in you and through you to, to, to live out God's plan for your life. So that's what we need to learn about God's law, uh, whether it's the, the more popular version of it, the summarized version, the Ten Commandments, or the other 603 commandments, is that we're not under it, but we need to learn from it. And, and there, there are commandments in the Ten that are repeated, and we're going to look at nine of them, and we will talk about the one that's not repeated. And from that, because it's put in the New Testament, it, it teaches us, okay, now how, how do we now live for God now? And so we'll look at two this morning. So we've looked at what we need to learn, and now we're going to look at what do we need to live out. And so let's look at it, uh, picking up in Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Um, Moses records these words for us. Then God spoke all these words, saying, and it's interesting, as you look at various ways to describe the Ten Commandments, some places it'll say the ten words. And uh, we use that phrase sometimes in our culture. Uh, you got a word for the day? Did you, did you hear that word? And, and really, it's a statement about what you're communicating. And so the Decalogue, the 10 or the 10 words, uh, this was given to Moses to begin sharing his plan for them. And he says, verse 2, I am the Lord your God. I am Yahweh Elohim. I am the one true God. And what did I do for you? Who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. In some ways, when we think about following God, obeying God, trusting in God to do what he says, and that's really, that's really the call of God for all of our lives. He wants us to take that next step of obedience because we love him and trust him and want to honor him by doing what he says. 
And the motivation, and there are many motivations, but the motivation is here is because he set you free from all that you were involved in that was a bondage. And, and now I'm, I'm just giving you the, the keys to, to, to living out that kingdom life that is all that God has originally planned for your life and bring fullness to your life. And I am a good God. I have set you free. I have not put you under bondage, unlike every other God or, or person in authority. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And this is, this is what I want to begin with you, telling you now how should you live. And the first commandment is recorded for us in Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. And so that's the first of the Ten Commandments. And if you wanted to put it in a positive way, you could say this. You shall believe in the one true God. You shall believe, you shall trust in, not all the other gods out there, but the one true God. Now, <laughs> to, use, to use a little bit of theological language, this is the exclusivity doctrine in the Scriptures. That, that God is, is not saying, well, uh, I don't care what you believe in or who you believe in, uh, as long as you believe. That's not the message here. It's not, it's not a matter of as long as you have some kind of faith, then you're going down the wrong path or going down the right path. He's saying, look, it does matter what you believe. It's not only what you believe, but what is the object or who is the person you're believing in. We're living in a time right now where people are wondering, you know, when is all this going to change? And for some people, it's, well, as soon as they get a vaccine. Now, I can understand the... The, the desire for to get a vaccine, but, you know, my concern, and I would think everyone's concerned, well, once they get the vaccine, is that vaccine actually going to what? Work. And so as we think about believing in God, believing in a God that's not the true God, believing in a false God, or in this case, believing in many gods, and that's where some people, I believe in everything out there, if it's not true, it's not going to help you. It's not going to work for you. And so as we think about that, this, is, this has always been true. In the Old Testament and New Testament, that believing in the one and only true God is where it all begins. There's a, there's a story, maybe not familiar to all of you, in Acts chapter 14, and God has been sending out his people to get the message out because it's a good news message. And in a place called Lystra, uh, two um, uh, missionaries, apostles, uh, Paul and Barnabas are out there, and, and they, they come to this man who has been lame since birth. And, and they could tell as this, this man is listening to Paul preach that he's believing what he's saying about Jesus setting people free. And so he turns to him, and he, and he heals him of his inability to walk. He, he's no longer lame, and he gets up, and, and the people around are just amazed. They're so amazed that all of a sudden they, they rush and they call Paul and Barnabas gods. In fact, they even name, they call, they call Barnabas Zeus and they call Paul uh, Hermes. And, and not only that, the, the priest who was at the, the temple of the god of Zeus comes and he, he brings animals to sacrifice to, to these who have now showed up as gods in their midst. And what happens, and, and I don't know about you, but I have never, ever had anybody mistake me for God. You know, if, it, if, if that ever happened, I, I don't know what I would do. 
I, I, might, I might let it go for a while just to see how, how, how much they, they thought I could be and do and how much applause I would get. But immediately, Paul and Barnabas, you know, they tear their clothes in, in just humility and said, look, why, why are you coming to us as gods? There is only one true God, the one who has created the, the heavens and the earth. And really what they were saying was exactly what's here in the first commandment in the Ten Commandments, the ten words that God gave to them to begin their understanding of their, their covenant relationship with the one and only true God, that you need to begin here. You shall worship, you shall have no other gods before me, and you shall believe in the one and only true God. And isn't that what Jesus said in John fourteen six? He said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And Jesus started with a pause. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But then he goes, no, and no one will get into God's presence apart from me. And so as you think about it, that as we begin this journey, as we continue that journey of knowing God, it begins here. God is calling people to have no other gods before him, that they believe in the one and only true God. And I guess that's what I'm asking you today. Have you settled that in your heart and mind? Not only that you believe, but who do you believe in? And is it the one and only true God? It, It begins here. It began that way for the people of Israel, and it remains that for us as well. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But I just want to spend just a couple more minutes on one other commandment. We'll only take two today. It goes on in verse 4, and here's the next commandment. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Pretty plain, pretty straightforward, and just very simple language. And you can put it this way. You shall love the true God more than anything. Now, for most of us, as we get to that point, we say, well, I think this is one of the commandments I, I obey. And this is repeated in the New Testament. We're going to look at that in a few moments. Because I don't have any idols that I bow down for. I don't have any figurines that I, that I somehow elevate to the place that that's what God looks like or that's, that's the, the, the God that I follow. Uh, some people do, and let's be honest about that. They have certain statues or certain things they might put in the front of their car or wear around their, their, uh, their neck as jewelry that somehow that's their symbol of who God is. But when we just reduce it to that, um, it's almost like this renaming the first one. You shall have no other gods before me. But I, but I think there's a deeper meaning be, uh, beyond this. If you go to the New Testament, here, here's what you find in Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. And Paul writes this, and he says, okay, this is, this is what describes a person who really has committed their life to the, the true God. Uh, therefore, Colossians 3, 5, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, uh, and those things should not be named among us. But not, not that we don't struggle at times and not that we don't sometimes fall into that, but that should not define the direction of our life, that we're, we're doing whatever we feel like doing, and it doesn't matter what God approves or disapproves. But then he goes on and says this, uh, in this list he says, and greed which amounts to idolatry. You know what I think that simply means? I think it simply means this. Is there, is there anything, you know, when you have greed for something, when you covet something, when you, when you pursue something with all that you are, what you are is taking that what you're pursuing, uh, maybe passionately, maybe 
maybe with all that you are investing all of your time or most of your time, it, it, is you're making that what you're pursuing a, a God to you. And, and this, trust me, we, we live in, in America where there's all kinds of gods that we have. It might be our portfolio, how much money we have. It might even be our health. Can you imagine how much money is spent trying to make your body look better? And there's nothing wrong with that. that you know, some people, it's, it's a hobby or it's a sport or it's a relationship, a human relationship. Uh, for some, it's the, the toys of life. And we sometimes think it's only little people have toys. Look at all kinds of adults have toys. And they, they just live to, to spend time with their toys. Or maybe it, whatever it might be, whatever is in your mind, you're saying, well, if I could just have this, or if I could just get to this place in my life, then I'd be really happy. Then, then, I, would, then I would experience life to its fullness. I was just, this, even this, this morning, a, a pastor who had moved from California to Oregon to plant a church, and as he was going there, the, there was a business that they had all planned out to fund everything they were going to do. And within just a month's being there, all of their business collapsed, and they literally lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, there's all kinds of things in this life that you want to hold on to tightly, and the reason you hold tightly because you feel that that's your source of, of happiness and joy and meaning in life. But I don't know if you've noticed that it, it, you, you can hold on to so many things tightly in this world, but it doesn't take much to take them out of your grip. And, and we don't know when or how life will ever get back to normal. But, you know, there's, there's, there's someone that no one can take from you. And, and that's your relationship with God. And as we think about our life, and I'm going to read a passage related to this that, that speak about what are we pursuing and who are we influencing. But what, what, whatever, is, whatever is more important to us than God, than God uh, that is our idol. That, that, which, that is what we put as supreme importance and value. And not only impacts us and our relationship with God, but it impacts other people around us as well. In Exodus chapter 20, he goes on and says this, with this commandment, with this commandment you shall have no other gods before me. In, uh, verse 2, the first commandment, second commandment, you shall not make yourself an idol. Or as I put it in a positive way, you shall not love anything in this world more than your, your relationship with God. He says you shall not make any make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the water, under the, in the earth. You shall not worship them. And worship is expressing love to something of highest value. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, for I, Yahweh Elohim, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, we just had Father's Day, but let me, uh, let me speak a word to fathers today. You know, uh, mothers probably have the greatest influence to, to do that which is good in children, but let me tell you this. The fathers have the greatest influence to do that which is harmful and evil for, for children. Because the, the, the tone and the direction and the and the, the values that the father has and communicates or does not communicate to his children will impact their kids, not only now, but for generations to come. Now, now, now God is gracious, and he's not saying here that the sins of the father are, are automatically imposed on the, 
on the, the sins of the, of the lives of the children. But what he is saying here is that we should never diminish the impact either for good or for bad, good or for evil, that a father can have on his children. And, and really what he's saying here is you think about the second commandment is our lives influence others. And when they look at us, it doesn't take long for them to realize, well, what's really important to you? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your time? What do you talk about? What's most important to you? What is your idol? Where, Where do you drift to when you're not really putting God first in your life? And so as you look at God speaking in their lives, he's... He's very, being very honest with us. He said, I'm not doing it because I don't love you, but I want you to understand that, that your life matters. It matters to me, and it matters to the people around you, and you don't realize that, but you influence people by what is important to you, what you really, truly love, what you truly value, what becomes so important to you, you could call it an idol or even a little god to you. And so as we just begin looking at these truths that are found in Exodus chapter 20, he hits this right fundamentally where it all begins. Who really is the one you've put your faith and trust in? Is it the one and only true God? You shall have no other gods before me. And then have you made an idol in your life? And some people make an idol by, by making a figurine or some kind of symbol that reduces God much be lower than who he really is. But most often or not, people make a God in their life of the things they want to obtain or the positions they want to achieve or the, the things they want to be known for. And, and they miss that it's all about loving God and knowing him and passing it on to others. We're, we're living in a nation right now where often as they look at well, what is the plight of some people being caught up in, in a whole cycle of, of being impoverished and left behind, and, and often it's that father wound, whether the father was never there or if he was there. The influence was not for good uh, for that, but that which is dragging his family down. So what would I want to leave you this morning? What's, what's the so what? The so what is, how are you expressing your faith and love for the living God, for Christ? How are you living this out that you show he is the one and only one, and he is the one that I love more than anything else? Let's pray together. Lord, I just really pray for all of us that we might begin at the beginning, really knowing who we really believe in, who we trust in, and who we put our confidence in, and, and who we really love. And Father, I would pray that we might examine our schedule, we might examine our priorities, we might examine what we really value, and, and might we just be wise in knowing that really you are the fullness of life. That when we pursue you, then there's fullness of joy because you are the one, because of your word to us, can have our hearts rejoice in that which is most important and who is most important. Help us to know you and live for you. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.